Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Here in Key West, we were out before it was in. In this open and inclusive paradise, you can be yourself, make new friends, and savor our live and let live vibe. With LGBTQ plus friendly accommodations, our legendary nightlife, and year-round activities and events, it's always a good time to come as you are. Key West, close to perfect, far from normal. This is an official download from thecustardtv.com. Hello everyone and welcome to a, another edition of the Custard TV podcast. It's a little bit of a special one today. We're looking at just the one programme, uh, that being uh, the Lord of the Rings, colon, the Rings of Power. A bit of a disclaimer off the top though, uh, this is the second time we're recording this because the first time someone forgot to press record me. Last time I did move to title, I don't know how you feel about this one guys. Stuck in Middle Earth with you. Stuck in the Middle Earth with you, I like it, yeah. Yeah, stuck in Middle Earth with you. Um, joining me today, as you've heard, Gary already, and Dawn's here as well. Um, self-proclaimed hey. Hobbit, Dawn. Yes, that's it. <laughs> well, I, also George, enjoy, I also enjoy a second breakfast, so maybe I'm a Hobbit. <laughs> <laughs> and I love a potatoes as well, yeah. Yes, that'll yeah, oh, yeah, potatoes. But I'm also six foot three, so I can't really be a dwarf. Um, <laughs> so I don't know what I am. An ent. <laughs> You're the guy in the meteor, probably. Probably, yeah, I, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Although I the stranger of the group, Gary, everyone. Yeah, that's right, yeah, the stranger. <laughs> yeah. This could be a podcast. Don't you have to be some sort of whiz kid to do those? Uh, definitely not. Anyone with a computer can make one. This is the Custard TV podcast. Yes, that would entertain me briefly. From thecustardtv.com. What we're going to do is we're going to just have a look through the first two episodes of uh, Amazon Prime's Lord of the Rings show. They're both available currently, and then I believe it's uh, one a week. Uh, just to start, we will just talk about how um, familiar we are with the source material. As a young person, I read The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings and was very into the films, you know, when they came out every Christmas, at least the first three, The Lord of the Rings ones. Um, and I have done the occasional all-day extended editions watch back-to-back. I do own the DVDs. Um, I wasn't such a huge fan of The Hobbit. I felt like they stretched that story out a bit too much, found it a little bit dull. Um, and I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm as knowledgeable about the Lord of the Rings myth as I am perhaps the Game of Thrones world. I, I'm certainly not, I would say it's good, but not great, my knowledge of Lord of the Rings, uh, but definitely a fan. I'm an, an uneducated enthusiast. I love all things fantasy, uh, you know, Labyrinth, Neverending Story, Princess Bride, all that kind of thing. But I've never read the books. I have seen all the films and I, I agreed I, I didn't really enjoy The Hobbit, but I, I like The Lord of the Rings. But I, I know very little of the lore 
So I feel actually I should have drafted my husband as a as a, as a substitute today because he would have been great. <laughs> Is he around? <laughs> Just, you know, wondering. No. I think I sort of between both of you really. I mean, I've watched the Lord of the Rings several times, like Gary. I do own the extended editions. I think very sort of early DVD purchases, weren't they? I think they mm, were sort okay. of around the time when DVDs first came out, and especially those sort of extended special edition two discs. Yeah. Um, malarkey. Um, Hobbits, not so much. Only watched the first one. Did read the book um, back at school as well. So I recognised some of the characters that popped up in this show. This is primarily adapted from the appendices of The Return of the King. Amazon got the rights to The Lord of the Rings from the Tolkien estate in November 2017 after a bidding war with several other networks i believe netflix and hbo were in the running as well but old uh, jeff bezos wanted his own game of thrones and apparently is a fan of the uh, the source material as well oh, and okay. um, purchased uh, for 250 million dollars or thereabouts and um, they made a five season production commitment which is worth at least one billion dollars and makes this the most expensive TV series ever made. Lord of the Rings take place in what's called the Third Age of Middle-earth, and this story that we're about to embark on takes place in the Second Age. The First Age was dominated by a uh, an evil character called Morgoth, and Sauron was one of his followers. Um, and uh, as we begin this, this episode, or begin this story, Sauron has disappeared after Morgoth has been finished and killed, after hundreds of years of wars, mostly against the elves. Just like general first impressions of this, really, you know, in terms of the visuals. You can tell instantly where that million dollars or whatever it is is gone. It looks amazing. It's it's the one that came to my mind was sumptuous. It yeah. is like a film. It, it really is. Uh, every scene, every shot of every scene, all the locations look absolutely incredible. There's not a moment where you're thinking, look at that CGI. I was worried about that in one of the early scenes you see um, a, a fight, a big battle with the orcs. Um, and I thought, oh, it's going to look so CGI'd, all the orcs. But it didn't at all. It really takes you into it because they've spent so much money on how it looks. And it, it it's worth it, <laughs> I think, because it just... it. it takes it to a level, as the, the Guardian said, it made Game of Thrones the, um, look amateurish and I think that's true, it really it's it's the best you could possibly ever imagine seeing on television I, I agree with that, Sumptuous is an extremely good word to describe it, one of the things that I loved was the use of the map uh, that they use, in between the transitions between uh, the different areas which we're going to come on to talk about you have these brilliant golden characters on the background of the of the map showing you where you are in the world uh, the reason i love it is because although we are in familiar areas of middle earth none of the places that we're familiar like gondor or mordor or T minas tirith are yet created and you don't have the shire either uh, in fact, the only place that you have that is in the Lord of the Rings movies is um, the Kazakh Doom, where the dwarves uh, live. So what's great is that as each transition happens, you get a marker. But this glorious map that, you know, everybody that, that is a Lord of the Rings fan is familiar with, uh, who's ever read the books, you know, and, and stuff like that is familiar with this map and the layout. Um, and I, I, I again, you know, just they have used the best. I mean, Weta, who were the, you know, the sort of like, 
company that Peter Jackson created with Lord of the Rings. You know, you can see their marks all over this, you know, everything down to the the armory, the knives, the swords, the, the weaponry, everything is, is really, you know, really well done. From that very first shot when we see the young Galadriel uh, playing with her brother, and you go from one extremely good looking scene by, you know, by a lake and, as you say, sumptuous, and then you, you immersed into this really cold world within about 15 minutes, you you can see exactly what's happened what where the money's gone and you know you you do feel like you are back in that world from from the films despite it being you know a whole new uh director and a whole new production company um so yeah so the the first part of this that we're going to look at is uh the stuff with galadriel who as we know was um in the films portrayed by kate blanchett here uh, a younger version of the character it starts with a scene with her um, with her friends. She makes a it's an opening scene of origami, basically, where she makes yeah. this like <laughs> is it a paper boat she makes? Like she, a swan type thing or something, isn't it? Yeah, or... like a, yeah, and and floats it down the river. It sort of opens up, but then one of her peers, let's just say. Uh, um, sinks it with a stone and she's comforted by her brother he um, goes off in search of uh, Sauron who is the servant of the Dark Lord Morgoth who uh, was defeated uh, by the elves she as we said um, tries to find him by going to the northernmost part of the world with um, some of her uh, associates but they convince her to go back to um, their capital, Linden. There, the High King proclaims the war against Morgoth's forces are over. You know, it's a time of peace. We can put the darkness behind us. And uh, Galadriel and her troops are sent off to Valinor, uh, where they can live a um, life of eternal peace. Uh, towards the end of the episode, we see them on their ship. Um, and as they're about to approach this bright light Galadriel makes the decision that she isn't going to um, join her friends and um, jumps into the sundering seas Uh, from there the second episode we see her um, swimming and um, finds a ship that has been uh, destroyed Uh, there are several humans on this ship it is attacked by a sea worm. She and the one other survivor of the ship work together to survive a storm. We see them rocking up on the shore and looking up and there's someone there. And that's sort of where we end uh, that story. I didn't vividly remember much about Galadriel. So I really liked this introduction. That You know, what I remember of her from The Lord of the Rings is this serene ethereal, gentle um, person. And here we are seeing her as a, a commander, a warrior. And I really like that they introduced her as the, the, the person who is saying, this battle against Sauron is not over. He is still out there. She is determined that it will. she will find him and keep going. And I, I like that, that everybody else is sort of like, ah, you know, it's over, let's get over it. But she is the one to say, no, because of her brother, her brother dies at the hand of Sauron, and Sauron leaves his mark on him, and that's what what, um, urges her to keep going. 
Um, and I, I thought it was, I thought it was done well. Her destiny is in Middle Earth to find Soren, and she feels that's absolutely what's driven her. And I, I suppose it's a common trope to have, you know, a lead character like that. To me, what was quite interesting was the the scene with her and Elrond, um, where they had that, you know, she was like, "I want to go and find Sauron." He was like, "The war is over," you know, he doesn't exist, you know, it's been so long. And it, it kind of eats away at her. And the way I interpret it is that she's got such respect for the king and for Elrond. Who, I think it's Elrond's brother who's the king, uh, El, Elond. Uh, and, and he, you know, she doesn't, ex- she accepts this ability to go to to, uh, to Valinor. But right at the last minute, this she can't quite do it. You know, the hand is reaching out, asking her to take it. And she, it's almost like she's got the voice of her brother in her head and she jumps at the very last minute. Uh, to to go and fulfil what she believes is her destiny. For me, this was the more self-serious, maybe, element of the plot. Uh, But it did have some of the more striking set pieces, certainly the opening um, pre-credits stuff, as I said, and also the the scenes with the sea worm and then the shipwreck. There's a lot in there. and I thought it was a good performance as well from Morford Clark, I, I believe is the actress. Um, very compelling lead. Um, so, yeah, so uh, interesting. And I think this is the one where, you know, you know this character already and it's sort of intriguing to see her backstory. The two main characters in this next part are Bronwyn, who is a healer, a human who lives in a village that was once loyal to Morgoth. Uh, and there's an elvish castle that's been built nearby, or outpost been built nearby. And we begin with um, Arundur um, and her colleague just talking about the fact that they've had their orders now that, you know, the war is over and that they should be returning home. Arundur has a kind of sense of a bit of unfinished business. And, and, and we get a sense of a relationship with Bronwyn in these very early scenes of just looks, though. Unfortunately, elves don't get great lines, possibly due to the way in which, you know, um, J.R. Tolkien wrote them himself. You know, these ethereal characters that, you know, appear very beautiful, and but don't really get the sort of gritty, um, you know, the gritty language of maybe the dwarves and the humans and, and other characters. Uh, but he goes and tells Bronwyn, you know, that they're leaving. And just as they're, you know, sort of about to do that, a, a, a farmer turns up with a cow. Bronwyn is a healer. So, you know, a vet is as good as a, he- a healer is as good as a vet. And they look into this cow who's unwell, and he says that the guy says, "Well, we've been been to the east," and they go to milk him, and it's blood instead of milk in his udders or her udders, sorry. Uh, and the cow, <laughs> not the cow, farmer. Cow, yeah. The, 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 the cow. <laughs> it's not that kind of program. Yeah. No. Uh, and and you know this concerns Arundor and a little bit of Bronwyn. Um, there's some tension in the village uh, that there isn't. They're not a big fan of the elf. Uh, invasion or occupation a little bit like the american gis maybe uh but the elves haven't really done anything to deserve that but you know there's some tension in the local inn about the elves overstaying their welcome uh there's even some talk of you know when our king comes back um and and you know bronwyn is very concerned and goes off with arundur uh in the second episode to, to sort of work out where this this eastern area is and they come across a place of and it's been kind of decimated, you know, it's been broken. There was a family living there and now there's nothing. There's just this man-made kind of cave down into the uh, down into the ground. And it makes Arundor suspicious and he throws his light down there and he's going to follow it down. And Bronwyn goes back to warn the villagers and maybe think about moving away because this is obviously a sign of some danger. Uh, so Bronwyn goes back 
Her son, who has been hearing mouse noises in the house, is attacked by an orc. It wasn't a mouse. It was an orc scratching up through the curtains. I know. Just don't get worried about that, people. Normally when it's a mouse, it's a mouse, not an orc. Uh, And the orc attacks him, Bronwyn and her son, and they both manage to eventually kill him in quite a brutal scene. A number of stammings and a hanging and and she then takes the the head of the orc into the inn to show people, look, I'm not just making this up. Evil is coming. And at the same time she's doing that, Aranor is is um, is going down into these caves. There's an alien esque moment when he's crawling through the caves with something chasing him. And uh, the the actor uh, deserves uh, a lot of credit. They put real rats in with him uh, to sort of run to show that rats, even rats, were leaving the sinking ship. Uh, and that can't have been that particularly nice. Uh, at, at the end of the, the sort of bit we get, you know, so Bronwyn's leading her family away. Her son finds a, a, a weapon, possibly left behind by the orc, and it's got this mark of Sauron that we've already talked about, this kind of trident look, and he gets intrigued by that. So it's going to be interesting to see how his character progresses, you know, with that. Is he going to become obsessed with it in the same way that maybe, you know, uh, Bilbo did? Uh, with the ring and Frodo did with the ring is it going to take him over uh, and it's obviously going to be interesting to see what happens Arundel goes under a cave, under some water and comes out in a cave and that's where we, we stop in the second episode about that Matt how do you feel this fits into like the main story did you feel it, it fitted in well yeah I thought you know there was some level of integration I think with the you know the darkness has gone you know ev- everything's back to normal the, the um, elves are leaving their outpost we don't need to monitor this town anymore because, you know, we, we feel like we've defeated all these evil forces. Um, obviously, we've got uh, the romance there as well. And I think it, there's the insinuation that we know here that the darkness hasn't gone. It hasn't reached, you know, the the elves, the elven king yet, the person who is seemingly in control of everything, who thinks, you know, everything's fine now. We know it's not fine. We've got the... The, the cow producing blood we've got the orc we've got this sword so there's a lot going on here where you know it's it's down on the ground floor you know things aren't going according to plan and um already these characters are are on the move aren't they they're, they're fearing for the worst um and so it's almost playing into what galadriel's saying you know they're still out there, and, and in these scenes, we can see they're still out there. And Dawn, I, I, this probably interests you quite well. It's, it represents a ship, does it not? Is it, <laughs> is it within your wheelhouse? <laughs> that is my specialty, yeah. It's, and it's exactly the kind of ship that I like, you know, the unspoken longing. The, uh, the, there's a scene where uh, Arndir, when the, he thinks he's leaving, and he, she says to him, oh, you know, say what you want to say, and he says, I've, I've I've said it in many ways, many times, but but with words. So obviously they haven't spoken about what they feeling feel mm. about each other. But I I thought are we made to wonder if he's the father of her son because there's a scene with her son and a, another local boy, and the boy is teasing him about um his father that you know it's clear that Theo doesn't know who his father is, um but. I think what's more likely is that it's connected to Soren because the the um, sword that he finds, I think he finds it buried in a, another building in the village. Mm-hmm. Under- mm-hmm. You're right. Yeah. It's not the one York left behind. Sorry, you're right. Yeah. 
and so I'm wondering if it's because they said, you know, that the village was was um, there were some people who were loyal to Morgoth and and Sorin that somebody has buried it there to use again when he returns. And obviously, but now the the sun has it, uh, and and the the power obviously, like he said, you know, is it going, going to be like the the ring and have an effect on him? Is his father connected to the darkness in some way? Is he was he something to do with Sorin? Baby's father is Soren. I never thought that. <laughs> that well, yeah, that's 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 an equally good point. So that's that part of it. And uh, Dawn, you're going to lead us through the 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 uh, the Hobbit esque part of the story. We're introduced to this by two human hunters, who um, you know hear a rustling behind them, and is it is it a, an animal? No, it's a it's Harfoot. And we're introduced to these small uh, people who are the predecessors to the the Hobbits, um, and they're. The, the uh, in their camp is kept completely hidden while the while the humans are there. But as soon as they walk away, we see them reveal themselves and their uh, set up. That they, they have this big camp which they uh, move with the seasons. They migrate, and uh, we're introduced to uh, Sir Lenny Henry, who is credited as Sir Lenny. Let's not forget. Uh, <laughs> Who plays Sadok, who is obviously a, a soothsayer or the wise man of the village, and he's perturbed by the fact that the hunters are here at this time of year, it's the wrong time. And uh, there's a woman who's looking for Nori and uh, shouting out for Nori. We find Nori is the, the very tropey, but nonetheless good, um, young woman, young girl. I don't know how old she's made to be. I would mean, Teenagers, I would say. Mm, yeah. Young teenagers, kind of. I got that vibe, yeah. yeah. So, yes, she is the kind the typical sort of um, wants adventure. She wants to be free of, obviously, the fact she's looking after kids and stuff. You know, she's shackled with these jobs and she wants to explore and, and, and find out what's out there. Uh, and, in fact, adventure comes to her when um, a comet streaks through the sky and we see every character sees this same comet, but it lands very near Nori. And she goes to explore it and find the crater, you know, fiery crater. And in the centre of it is a man that she calls him a giant. But we don't know if that's, if he's sort of elf size or what, but he's bigger than her, obviously. Um, and uh, we don't know who he is. They refer to him just as the, the stranger throughout. Um, and she goes up to him, of course, being the kind of girl she is, she investigates further and, and he he locks eyes with her and when he when he locks eyes with her, there he sort of makes a, a loud noise and the, the fire all dies down and then comes back and she says the fire doesn't burn. It's not so there's the, she has some connection with him and, and much to her best friend Poppy's disgust, she she decides that she is going to look after this person. And it's her destiny. He's landed there near her for a reason. Uh, so they take care of him and, and bring him food. And they try. she tries to communicate with him. And um, he's saying something, but she doesn't know what it is. And he, he's drawing symbols on, on stone things. There's a moment we see his mysticalness when he, um, uh, Nori's father is helping with uh, trying to erect something in the camp. And it's going wrong, and furiously the stranger trying to tell her by writing in the earth with the stick, and she doesn't know what he's saying. And at the same time, her father breaks his ankle. 
Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And so obviously he has a, a connection. He can see things, whatever. And then, but because of her, her father's injury, uh, and the, all the other portents of doom that are, are happening. Uh, Lenny Henry's character says, you know, they, they need to move camp. It's time to migrate. So Norrie goes to tell the stranger, and they, her and Poppy have lanterns full of fireflies, and when the stranger sees the fireflies, he breaks one free, and he then speaks to the fireflies and makes them uh, the form a constellation, and Norrie realises he is looking for this constellation of stars, but she's going to help him, though we don't know exactly how she's going to do that. Uh, but that's her her destiny and the adventure she's always seeked has come to her. To me, the Hobbits are the heart and soul of any Lord of the Rings story. You know, they are the the underdogs. You know, they are you know not just because of their height, but because of their you know they, they don't have abilities, they don't have long life, they don't have much in the way of weaponry, but. You know, they are the heart and soul of, of the Lord of the Rings stories. And I feel that this is going to be the case here. These these two lead uh, characters, these two lead women are very sympathetic towards this stranger in a way in which I'm guessing the rest of their village won't be when they find out. Um, and what I think is intriguing is, is the fact that there's a lot of speculation about who this character is. As you say, he's only named as the stranger uh, in, 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 in IMDb or Wikipedia. And there's lots of speculation already that is this is this uh, Gandalf, is this Saruman, is this Sauron, in fact. Uh, lots of people guessing. The, the, the thing is that the, the wizards, the five wizards, don't really come into the, the third age. But of course, this isn't an exact, you know, retelling of what's going on. So they could adapt this to be someone that we are familiar with in the Lord of the Rings story. And of course, they're going to kind of keep him secret from the village because until they can you know, be sure about what's going to happen, I think they're going to have to ask Lenny Henry's character help about the constellation. That's just going to cause him perhaps to be a bit worrisome about why they're asking all those questions. You can kind of see that scene where maybe someone follows them to where they're hiding the stranger that to, to be discovered. I, I really like this. I, I think it was heartwarming and funny, you know, that the hobbits are the light relief. Uh, and, and, I, you know, they, it was very enjoyable for me. Yeah, and and I think this and the last part of the story that we'll talk about added some much needed levity for me. I think mm. the the bits we've talked about before have had the melodrama, have had the big action set pieces. The scenes here, although you do have the one, the big set piece at the end of the first episode uh, where we have the meteor and it lands um by the the Harfoots and and you know Nori obviously 
trying to solve this issue and and um communicating with the stranger but i i as you say you sort of feel like you're in this world the musical cues are very similar to the musical cues from the films mm. um howard shaw is involved in this but the uh, the main uh composer here is a, a man called bear mccreary who has certainly taken some of howard shaw's notes to sort of in certainly with the Harfoots, uh how similar it is in the in terms of the music used when we when we saw the hobbits uh but yeah i i, I greatly enjoyed this it's a bit odd seeing lenny henry here he's probably the most noticed no one named certainly for uk viewers um M- markella kavanagh who plays nori really strong performance there really lots it brings a lot of energy to it as well which in certain parts is much needed when stacked up against some of the other performances yeah i really enjoyed these segments i i, I thought it's it's if you don't know the characters it you've got the cue that he is someone significant whether it's um uh soren returning or gandalf or one of the other wizards we know he's someone important because every character sees his comic pass through the sky, which tells us his arrival is changing something for everyone. And we don't know what it is yet, but that tells us he is going to be significant. Uh, and obviously that means that Nori's story is going to be significantly connected to everybody else's, um, including Galadriel, you know, on, on, so that's a, a huge scale. Um, so I think that was that was a well done introduction um, to, to introduce somebody who's obviously such a huge character with a hard foot, a little, a, a young girl who obviously doesn't feel that she has anything important to do in the world, and now we know she's connected to something huge. We'll come on to the final uh, bit of the story now, uh, the DIY SOS part of the story with Elrond. <laughs> Elrond is uh, someone to assist um, a great Elven Smith um, who wants to build a new forge in a tower. He tells him he's the only person who's going to be doing it. He needs it done by spring. So Elrond thinks, I need some help here. I will uh, rely on um, my friend, uh, Prince Durin, the uh, a dwarf prince. Uh, he journeys to Khazadun and uh, he's met with um, apathy when he comes. He's hoping to be reunited with his old friend. Instead, he sort of gets his way in the door by... Um, a method where he wants to challenge Durin to some sort of duel which involves them smashing rocks. He loses this, but on the way out, he tries to sort of ascertain why Durin doesn't want to reconnect with him. Finds out that Durin's angry because he hasn't spoken to him in 20 years, hadn't congratulated him when he got married or when he had children. He convinces him to meet his wife and his and his kids and and by and by he tells him why he's there and um in in turn Durin then goes to his father the king and sort of moots the um the possibility of them helping uh build this this tower this forge i i really like this this is the most similar to lord of the rings the films that that you can get you know the this is not only the you know the location is the same but also you've got recognizable dwarves and and, and things like that you've got names that have been talked about in the hobbit as well uh, durin was someone that was referred to 
Uh, and it just feels very familiar. What I also loved was the the little throwback that you had. There was a moment where they're standing outside. The two elves are standing outside, and he says, "Ah, oh, their their hospitality is legendary. You know, we'll have buckets of mead and meat off the bone." And it's exactly the same wording that's used uh, by Gimli when he's telling the Fellowship of the Ring when they get to exactly the same place before they go into um, to, to, to Khazad Doom. So it, it, it has that kind of real nostalgia feeling for me for that as well as well. I wasn't a big fan of the, you know, the Krypton factor. I must you know, break more rocks than you. Uh, but, you know, uh, it, it served its purpose. I really liked one bit I really liked in this is they showed the, the clipping of a tree that was an elvish tree. Uh, and it, even though we're down hundreds of feet down in the mines, you know, we are, you know, you've got a tree that because it has light can can thrive. And I I don't know that just kind of really filled me because, you know, trees are very important. You've got the Ents in the Lord of the Rings and you've got the Silmarillions, you know, Silmarils and the trees themselves. Um, it, it, it was just the most nostalgic part of the show. You feel at home when you see the dwarves because you go, OK, I know this. I know the, the, their culture. I know I know them. And I, I really like that we had that scene with um the Durin and his wife Disa and the kid, it, it made it very human, very, you know, that whole catching up with an old friend. And, and mm. it shows that Durin, although there's something going on that we don't know what it is, there's some secrecy that Durin and his father are worried about whether the, the elves know about. Um, we had this niceness that he showed. He's a lovely, Durin is really nice guy and he's a family man and he is a good friend and that's why he's upset is he, he cares so much that he's afraid we haven't been touched. The end of that scene, that sequence, we see that the, the father who's played by uh, Peter Mullen, completely unrecognisable except for his voice, um, they open a box and are looking into it which is obviously something to do with the secret um, but I don't know, we don't know what it is. I, I like the relationship between Elrond and Durin um, between Durin and his wife, another very strong female character in there, basically wearing the wearing the trousers or whatever dwarves wear. <laughs> Britches, I think. The Britches, yeah. Um, in that family, I, I again the the detail of the sets of the under underground world of these uh, dwarves. I thought was fantastic. Um, yeah, again, a, a nice addition, a bit of, a, you know, a different setting and an interior rather than the, the exteriors we get a lot of as well. So it looks distinctive. So, yeah, enjoyed this, enjoyed the, the story and again, like the intrigue there. So, um, yeah, so, I mean, overall, where are we in terms of intrigue, in terms of, you know, our level of interest going into the rest of the series? Dawn? Uh, yeah, I, I was given about a, an 8 out of 10. I think I really was was uh, hooked on it, considering I'd forgotten so much of The Lord of the Rings. As a layperson, I can say you don't need to remember anything, really. Mm. There is enough explained for you to understand exactly what's going without exposition bogging you down. It doesn't give you tons and tons of names. You have the, the map, as Gary said, which tells you, you know, we're moving from this place to this place, makes it all very clear. Um, but you have these real human characters that you care about, like Nori and, and Durin and Bronwyn, that you feel interested in their story 
whether or not it's part of the larger story and the bigger epicness. Uh, so I think they've, they've got that balance perfectly, perfectly well. And I, I love, of course, that it's it's got potential romance <laughs> and that it's, it's female characters. Uh, Nori is one I really a character I really identify with. I love that kind of that trope of the plucky young girl. So. And because you're about the same size. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Twice the win. <laughs> same size. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Gary, I think I would I would give this about a seven and a half. I, I, you know, it was familiar and it was good. I do think the episode's potentially a little bit long. I mean, you've got to remember that this is like an eight hour movie, really, um, you know, particularly with the budget and the way it's being filmed. So you're in its very early stages, but they still managed to get some good activity and intrigue and and, and, and good explanation and exposition by characters. I also love the fact that you've got the strong female leads. I mean, that goes very much to Tolkien. You know, he wrote a whole character in Aomir, uh, sorry, Eowyn, um, who eventually kills the Ringwraith um, because it said that no man can kill him. So she kills him because she's a woman. Um, and that's just a wonderful way of, you know, bringing in a, big, a female antagonist. And, protagonist. Um, and, and I think, you know, there, there is a number of very good characters. I would say possibly... And I know there's been some complaints about sticking to the law and sticking to some of the things. And as someone who knows a little bit more about that, maybe I'm a little bit worried about how some of that is going to go. You know, we we know where this story ends up. We know that, you know, Sauron is beaten and we know about the rings and we know about all the things that happen. But we don't know how we're going to get there. And that's the journey that we're going to be on over these next five, you know, five series that's been talked about. Um, so, you know, maybe there's that little bit of trepidation as to why I'm not going to score it any higher. What about you, Matt? Yeah, I'm sort of a bit lower, perhaps, maybe sort of 6.5. I agree with you. I think maybe the episodes are a little bit long. I, I mean, we're, we're sort of out. I suppose we're about an hour, aren't we, on each one? Yeah, um, over, yeah. Yeah, I, I, again, you know, like I've been saying, there were some elements of it where I thought it was maybe a little bit overly melodramatic at times. You know, when it when we do get the law, I I do tune off a little bit, but I love the, all the stuff with the Harfoots, all the stuff with mm-hmm. the, the dwarves, and that again, that was in the second episode. So there was enough there that I might consider continuing with it. I I, I um certainly think you know, I don't know. I was going to say money well spent, but <laughs> certainly you could see. Where the the money has been spent, and um, and it looks fantastic, it looks sumptuous, well shot. The the set pieces all worked for me as well. I will say every time you know there was this a big action piece, I was I was hooked then. But I think when it's sort of dialogue focused, and certainly when the dialogue is explaining sort of what's gone on, it did lose me a little bit. And I don't think I'm possibly as this isn't in my wheelhouse as much as it is uh, you guys is um gary you wanted to talk a little bit about the the reviews yeah so i mean the feedback has been mostly positive most reviews that i've heard have been have you know said that you know this is the early stages of a good story but there has been some um sort of uh kickback from law fans you know from people who you know, feel that the Lord of the Rings is very much theirs, you know, an ownership of it. And and Amazon have even closed the the, the feedback section on their website for this uh, because it was getting quite the, the, the drubbing 
um, for certain things. And I think this is something that happens in fantasy, uh, in science fiction. People feel like they own this property and they feel like any time you diverge away from, you know, what's in the book or what they believe is right, you get quite the backlash. Matt, you said before that there's a term for this. Is it gatekeeping? Gatekeeping, yeah. Yeah, yeah and, and I can understand it. You know, I can understand why that phrase is relevant. I mean, I, I don't quite get it. You know, I think the same thing happened when you had Jodie Whittaker start as the female Doctor Who. You know, why does it matter that a fictional made-up character is a man or a woman? You know, it, it doesn't really make much difference. Um, and, and I know as well that there's been some backlash. That we talked about some of the casting of, um, of black and minority ethnic characters in this show and and that's not good that there's been this 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 hatred towards them and, and abuse that they've got it's not acceptable you know it's it's fiction just you know get on with it people mm, yeah and and you know we, we were saying this before you know it's similar when Jodie Whittaker was cast as Doctor Who or when there was a you know the female Ghostbusters every time something doesn't fit with how the character is written or how the character appears in someone's head it's like the worst thing in the world and you know that it, unfortunately it does happen a lot of it is you know these sort of fanboys putting their um their stamp on it really but you know yeah. i i think it it's great and and especially when it comes to fantasy you can do what you want really it's it, yeah. it's it's you know up to and especially with this it, there isn't much basis for most of these characters prior so they can really cast who they want present them how they want so there shouldn't be that um that negativity towards it really the actor that plays arander who obviously he's the first black elf and he said as soon as he was cast his inbox you know on instagram forever was flooded with racist hate and i, I think obviously um a lot of the hard boots are, are different uh skin colors you know the, there's um east asian uh, south asian uh, obviously lenny henry and then the the actress who was later on when i believe is iranian so there's you know there's so many ethnicities and it's so important because it's about recognizing you know seeing yourself on screen and for so long science fiction and fantasy especially fantasy science fiction is is has been a, a, a white boys club and it's it's important for there to be representation for for women and and black people and people of all ethnicities and uh, disabled people to see themselves on screen and say that could be me mm-hmm. you know i can see myself and, and then they will then be the next producers of, of fantasy and science fiction they could be the next creators of it so it's so important as we we're all saying it's about representation and it's important for you know the little girls watching or the people of uh, different ethnicities watching to see their their themselves on screen and see even if it is in a fantasy world it's positive representation of mm. minorities or of you know females which as dawn said you don't see as much of in science fiction it is getting there and i think actually in the case of this the majority of the central characters are women and have as I said before, have all got this agency about them, are slightly different, but are all, you know, motivated in their own way and are really interesting, well drawn, three dimensional characters, which is something that I think this series can be proud of. Dawn, over to you. Yes. Yeah, the shipyard UST are uh, we're 
still working our way through to the end of uh, shipping, but we stopped a little for a break to talk about spoilers and uh, something that's relevant with uh, the Rings of Power and is you know whether shows are dropped all at once or whether they're done weekly, what a big difference that makes the spoilers, and especially when it comes to ships and the creation of ships, how that affects them and when is it good and when is it not good, when do you want to spoil it and, and say this is coming up, but then you don't want to say this is happening. You know, so just getting the right balance. So you can find that on YouTube or on Spotify or any place you get podcasts. And we're on Twitter at uh, the Shipyard USD, and I am Don Glenn too. Very good, Gary. Anything to promote? Uh, well, you, you can find me at the Gary Show, where I'll be posting about my dislike of female prime ministers, black Doctor Who's, uh, and and basically anything that's different to a white middle class man running the world. No, this oh, is well, not that, true. This is a that lie. might be very prevalent uh, tomorrow. We're recording this on Sunday night. Female <laughs> prime ministers. Yeah, exactly. So uh, yeah, no. I'm obviously joking, but if you don't believe me and you want to argue with me, come find me at the Gary Show. I was <laughs> like, come find me. My address is. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Bring it on. No, oh, no, every, time, first. every time I see the Gary Show, I have to start singing it in my head. Oh, yeah. The Gary Show, the yeah. Gary I, I totally show. stole that as my theme tune when I used to do the podcast. What was, it? What was that? I don't know that. What was oh, it? Gary Shandling uh, did a comedy show which was called The Gary Show and it was uh, fine. Oh. How, do, do yourself a phone, Matt, after this, look it up on YouTube and find the thing. I never you... knew it was a thing. I just oh, thought it was your... Yeah. <laughs> it's a thing. That's where I got it from. Gary. Yeah. See, I'm what a little bit younger favorite? than you guys. That's probably why. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh, you cut oh, so deep. Tell, <laughs> us about, tell us about your plugs. My plugs. Um, so, yeah, you can um, find me at Matt Stevie Bites. Uh, the website is thecustardtv.com. Um, the, and that is at Luke Custard TV. Uh, we, the Custard TV podcast, you can find us on all your podcast apps of choice. Please rate, review, subscribe. Twitter for that is at Custard TV Pod. We will be back next week with reviews of the third series of Trapped on Netflix, Mike, which is the Mike Tyson biopic series and um also on disney plus wedding season which is a comedy thriller from the uk i hear that mike tyson uh, documentary's got some real bite to it well it's a drama but yes <laughs> also packs a punch <laughs> thank you very much to gary and dawn for doing this twice today i really do appreciate your your time <laughs> i think if we do it fourth time third or fourth time we'll get it right yeah yeah well, this is the two towers now, so... Yeah, you know, oh, well done. <laughs> it's the extended cut. Um, but yeah, thank you very much. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Be back next week, and goodbye. Rate and review us wherever you find us. Search The Custard TV on YouTube, iTunes, and Facebook. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.